0: midtown detroit studios of wdet
1: this is detroit today michigan's struggles with government transparency are legendary in our nation where we consistently rank near the bottom among our peers for open government and ethics we're going to talk today about whether there's a political opening for change actual progress, and who might be the champion for it in Lansing. We'll also discuss the latest corruption scandal in Michigan government, a former Speaker of the House who has pled guilty to bribery. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR.
2: Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History.
1: Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and it's really great you decided to join us today. So when you think about Lansing, our state capital, and the people we send there to do our business, think about how much we don't actually know about what goes on in that capital building. We don't know much about who legislators are meeting with or spending their time with. We don't know much about how they collect money to run for office. We certainly don't know a lot about how they spend their campaign money. And none of this is a problem of reporting. We've got a lot of people Journalists who cover the Capitol, who cover these issues, who ask a lot of questions, ask for records. The problem is that the infrastructure for open government, the laws, don't have the kind of teeth to be able to produce this public information. This is One of the reasons that Michigan consistently ranks near the bottom of national rankings for transparency in government. We also rank really badly when it comes to government ethics. But there have been a lot of things changing in Lansing lately, and this may be one of the things that changes too. Along with all of the other things that the new Democratic majority in Lansing is busy doing, they're also trying to get a discussion started about an expansion of the way we get to see what legislators and the governor actually do in Lansing. Later in the hour, we're going to be talking with a reporter about the bribery scandal that includes a former Michigan House speaker. And that scandal is something the public knew about long after it happened, which is one of the reasons that this idea of open government, of transparency, is so important. But before we get there, we want to explore more about Michigan's government transparency laws as they stand now. Why are they so lacking? Why is enforcement of them so lacking? And what would it mean to be able to more effectively understand what happens in Lansing? What would it be like to really know what state legislators and the governor are really up to? That's where we begin the conversation today, and to help us explore this, we've got two really great guests. Rachel Louise Just is the statewide political reporter for Channel 3, TV, which is based in Kalamazoo. Rachel, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Stephen, I'm so glad to be here, thank
1: you. Yes, it's great to have you with us. Also with us is Nick Pigeon. He is the executive director of a really wonderful organization called the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today as well.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Stephen.
1: So, Rachel, I'm gonna start with you. Help people out who may not uh, understand why transparency in government matters and why we do such a poor job here in Michigan, of holding uh, legislators, the governor, local governments as well, accountable for that kind of transparency.
2: Yeah, that is the, the crux of the question. And, and as you were explaining this, this is a fascinating topic for us journalists, but you may have had some viewers tuning out because I think when you talk about transparency, so many voters feel that they are disconnected from this. Why does this matter for me? Realistically, The things that voters say that they don't want to have in government, you know, the so-called swamp, this is exactly what can be um, destroyed with more transparency, with more sunshine. And in Michigan, as you said, we famously have a horrible uh, sunshine policy here in the state. Um, The things that have come from FOIA just over the last couple of years, I mean, that led to things like the the Clinton email scandal that led to... um, The things that we've seen recently with um, the bribery uh, from a former speaker that could have been discovered much earlier, likely had we had more access to records. So, those kinds of things are absolutely crucial for us as journalists, but it's also so important for anyone who cares about how things are operating in the state to be able to know exactly what's happening. And here in Michigan, we have consistently been ranked as the the least transparent state in the entire country. And that's simply because we don't have any access, FOIA access, public records access to the legislature or to the governor's office, which is really the areas that we most need to look into.
1: Yeah. Um, Governor Whitmer has said that she will extend FOIA laws to the executive branch. It's something she said when she was a candidate for uh, the governorship here in Michigan. She's been in power for a while now, was just reelected last fall. Rachel, why has that not happened?
2: You know, Stephen, that's the question we've we've all been kind of waiting for. We've all been asking for the last couple of years. She released a really thorough, really great uh, Michigan Sunshine plan when she was running for governor in 2018. The last couple of years, she hasn't had quite the strength to be able to do some of the things that she wanted to do on there because she was working at the Republican legislature. One Republican leader in particular was very against any kind of access for the media to be able to get records um, and was very vocal about that. Now that she is in power, she does have that Democratic trifecta. Uh, I think she's going to see more pressure on her to push through some of the things that she said were important to push through she was in the legislature as a leader prior to becoming governor. So she knows exactly the extent of these issues. And I think that's something that we're going to start seeing some pressure being put on her to pass.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Talk about why Michigan is uniquely bad at uh, government transparency and kind of extend the conversation here beyond the Freedom of Information Act, which is uh, the way that anybody really can get information is supposed to be able to get information about government our campaign finance laws as well are deeply problematic not just in the way that they are constructed uh here in michigan but in the way that they're enforced talk about how those two things together kind of uh create a mix of of clouded government uh in our state sure
3: as you mentioned we are uniquely bad um We've talked about some of the rankings prior, but we are dead last in the Center for Public Integrity's ranking and 48th in the Coalition for Integrity Swamp Index. That's the state's with anti-corruption measures and public officials index. This is largely due uh, to what we've been talking about, our FOIA law having the exemption for our legislature and our governor. Uh, and more. most importantly, we are one of two states without a public official financial disclosure law, which is something that's changing due to the passage of Prop 1 uh, in 2022. It is only us in Idaho that do not require our public officials to file uh, annual financial disclosure statements. Uh, so that changing soon uh, will change some of the calculations in our transparency.
1: And let's talk about campaign finance laws in particular. Uh, it, it seems that one of the one of the real problems is that the people who are responsible for following those laws. Don't do it in good faith. And when they don't, there aren't a lot of consequences available for for that behavior. If you don't file your reports on time, if you file reports that don't include all of your activities, there really is not any kind of uh, there's no punishment uh, for for doing that. No, I mean, certainly,
3: um, you know, they can keep kicking that can down the road. Um, You can still continue to work. Uh, through the committee and do work on behalf of the committee, even if uh, you receive letters from the Secretary of State and eventually might become a problem uh, for the treasurer if you're assessed fines and whatnot. But, um, you know, as far as still working through the committee, uh, you know, they can keep, keep kicking the can down the road. And for many, it's kind of seen as just a transactional cost of doing business as part of the committee and running for a uh, an open seat.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Rachel Louise Just, who is a state political reporter for Channel Three WWMTV MT TV in Kalamazoo. Also with us is Nick Pigeon. He's the executive director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. We're talking about transparency here in the state of Michigan, transparency of our state government in particular, uh, why it is so obscure, and what we need to do. To make it more transparent. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well, our listeners during the conversation. Uh, what do you think of how transparent government is here in Michigan? How do you think it would change our politics if we were able to get more information about what the state legislature and the governor are actually up to? What would you think if, for instance, local officials were held differently accountable uh, for FOIA. I'm going to talk just a little bit about uh, the difficulty that if you live, for instance, in the city of Detroit, getting information out of the city of Detroit or Wayne County government is also really difficult. Uh, also, do you have questions about why our government is not very transparent or how public records requests work. Uh, this is the time to ask those questions. We've got two really great guests with us who know a lot about these things. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Rachel, uh, I want to talk about the possibility that uh, Freedom of Information Act bill might pass the House and the Senate. Uh, what is the state of uh, the, sh- the the shaping up of that legislation? And, and I guess how likely are we to see uh, the new majority in Lansing actually do something?
2: That is something that I asked the governor about last week. Um, she gave what I, I believe is her first indication that we're certainly going to be doing something about this, but it was a little vague. Um, she told me, I think the quote was, you'll be seeing a lot of potential progress. So for me, you know, for as a journalist, that's exciting to hear, but potential progress is pretty vague. We still don't know that much about what exactly this will do. Luckily, we do know that there is an appetite for this within the legislature, at least um, even a bipartisan appetite for it on some level. We've seen um, two senior senators, which is uh, Senator Ed McBroom. He's uh, from the up north, Um, the UP area, and then we have Senator Jeremy Moss, they've both collaborated on Open Records Act legislation, and it simply just wasn't able to get anywhere with the former Senate Majority Leader in power. So if we see them introduce this now, it's very possible that that could move forward. Of course, it's just a stepping stone, but it's much more significant legislation than we've ever seen pass through the Michigan legislature in probably decades when it comes to transparency.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, one of the problems here, of course, is that we are dependent on uh, the folks who have to abide by these laws uh, to to actually pass those laws. That's true with FOIA. It's also true with campaign finance. It's something that can be very frustrating, I think, to, to ordinary citizens who, I think, pretty universally would say – transparency is a pretty good thing and that we need more of it here uh, in Michigan. I, I wonder if you can talk about how this works in places that are more transparent. What What is the lever that ordinary citizens uh, are able to pull that gets legislators and maybe a governor to, to take this more seriously?
3: Well, you know, I think that's a good question. It's something that I grapple with. People talk about, you know, transparency and being something that you know, the public generally might not pay attention to on the on a day-to-day basis, but just having those laws in place and the threat that you know your internal communications uh, can be foia um, that you will have to disclose um, some of your financial transactions and your business relationships, uh, just on its own keeps you know our public officials on the straight and narrow. Even if uh, you know the general public isn't making those inquiries, you know there are amazing reporters and. Uh, people in this state, like you said, who will follow this and track this. And just knowing that that's out there um, really does a lot in ensuring that our public officials are uh, doing what their constituents demand and uh, being as transparent as possible.
1: Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, Rachel Louise Just and Nick Pigeon. also want to get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag DetroitToday, and we can include you in the conversation. Call and tell us what you think about transparency in state politics and how we make it a little better. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've decided to join us today. We're talking right now with uh, Rachel Louise Just, who's a statewide political reporter for WWMT Television in Kalamazoo. Also with us is Nick Pigeon; he's the executive director of the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. We're talking about uh, government transparency in Lansing, uh, our state capital, uh, why it is so weak, uh, especially in comparison to other states, uh, and whether there's an opportunity, because of the current political alignment in Lansing, for us to do better. want to hear from you, uh, the, the listeners uh, on the program as well. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation, Nick. I want to talk a little more about Proposal One, uh, which you you referenced uh, earlier in the program. That was passed by Michiganders in the midterm uh, elections last year, and it requires financial disclosures of lawmakers and statewide uh, elected officials. What kind of impact do you think that's going to have, not just on transparency, but but on our politics here in Michigan?
3: Certainly. Well, uh, you know, as I previously mentioned, Michigan is only one of two states not to have uh, these laws already on the books. Uh, This contrasts heavily. You know, Michigan is a full time, very professional, and active legislature. Um, States that, you know, have notoriously part time legislatures uh, have really uh, stringent laws when it comes to, you know, having to have their legislators file these annual financial disclosure statements. So uh, what this law will require is for uh, state legislators to have to uh, disclose their assets, you know, their positions held as an officer, director of trustee, and other organizations, um, and have to disclose uh, some gifts and travel reimbursements. Um, I think along the lines of what we've been talking about, how important transparency is to keep our public officials on the straight and narrow, this is going to go a long way uh, in improving our standing in the eyes of uh, some of the uh Uh, The Coalition for the Transparency rankings we talked about earlier. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel, did the governor say much about what what voters said they wanted uh, in the midterms? We talked earlier about her campaign pledge to be uh, kind of all about these issues. But uh, the voters have spoken uh, recently about this, also spoke pretty loudly a few years before about it.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that um, we we didn't see her focus on it in the last election nearly as much as she did in her first election. Mm-hmm. It's, it's commonplace for someone who's coming into <laughs> their first term in something like the governorship to be focusing on things like transparency, the core issues that they see within the Lansing or that area. Um, now that she's in government, it's a little harder to be critical of those things since she's been the person that's been in power, whether or not she had control over that legislation or not, which... In some cases, she didn't. But I do think that the outpouring of support for Prop 1 is a pretty good indication that while the um, clause on Prop 1 are maybe not as strong as we'd like them to be here in Lansing, they are something. And it shows that voters do care about this, and they do want to see change from their government in Lansing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Fred in Milford. Fred, what's on your mind? Steven, how are you? Good, how are you?
4: Good. A couple of things. Just put a little balance in this perspective for the listeners, and they can make their decisions mm-hmm. on what's good and what's bad. Uh, I have many times sought information under the uh, Freedom of Information Act, only to be discouraged and frustrated so many times because you get so little for your money. So I'm all for let's let's make it a... Uh, Let's bring the sunshine, as McCarthy would say, into it. Let's see what's going on. Uh, And if you look at the women of league voters that filed the lawsuit on gerrymandering for Michigan, they went to federal court and they got a three to nothing decision that said, yeah, we've been illegally gerrymandered by the Republican Party for the last 20 some years. And they were going to change that and they were going to change it immediately and hold a new round of elections. And the fire for that decision was emails that somebody had purloined from our legislature showing a smoking gun that, yeah, we're going to do this, yep. uh, gerrymandering, and we're going to get away with it. On the other hand, those who sit in government have to have, like the lawyers and clients do, a privilege or the doctors do with clients, with patients, a privilege, so that they can really discuss in robust terms what their fears are going forward with new policy with new laws otherwise they may be sued as racist or they may be sued as bigots or they may be sued as for any reason because they let their guard down and they talked about their real feelings so we got to strike a balance somewhere between yeah let the public see what's really going on but let the legislatures and those in charge of policies and the politicians have some kind of hmm. a robust discussion that they, they don't have to worry about looking over their shoulder. Just like attorneys and clients, we don't have Man. to look about looking over our shoulder. Uh, Fred, so striking that balance is uh, important.
1: Fred, that's a really interesting that's a really interesting point. I'm glad you called. Uh, uh, Nick Pigeon, what is the right balance there? How much freedom do government officials need to have to be able to, you know, have robust and and passionate political uh, argument uh, and and how does that when does that bump up against the public's right to know what they're up to?
3: Sure, I you know I think that really does apply to on a case by case basis, and that's why you know there's a FOIA coordinator, there's someone who you know weighs those checks and balances, and you know if there's just a clear exemption from even being able to be subject to those laws, you can't even start to you know make that balance and ask, you know, is this something that, you know, would really help the public? Or is this something that we do, you know, we can't disclose due to a clear uh, invasion of privacy or something like that? Uh, Just exempting bodies from this makes it so we can't even start to have that discussion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, Fred, really appreciate uh, the call and the questions. uh, Robert uh, called in and cannot stay on the line, but wants to know if, a new law would include spouses for disclosures. Uh, he says sometimes officials say it's the spouse and not them, and that is a way to kind of hide uh, hide activity. I think that he's talking about campaign finance laws there. Uh, he says think about uh, Clarence and Jenny Thomas. Of course, Clarence Thomas in the news last week as well for uh, for activity that he did not disclose for decades uh, with. With a pretty prominent Republican donor nationally, uh, Nick, what's what's the question about how to handle that, and and also give us a sense of whether whether we might see new action on campaign finance laws along with uh, along with FOIA.
3: That's a good question. Uh, there are many states, uh, you know, in reference to the Prop One law and having these uh, financial disclosures for public officials do extend those disclosure requirements to spouses, even in some cases to their children, um, members of their household. Uh, right now, as the law stands, again, we only uh, have what's in Prop 1 currently, not uh, what the legislature will eventually have to pass uh, by December 31st of this year. Um, you know, we are yet to see, you know, how they're going to extend the disclosure requirements in the law. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Rachel, uh, what, what's the timeline look like, do you think, for the legislature to actually get into this and start considering uh, the, these FOIA changes?
2: Stephen, I think that's the question that's, that's all around Lansing right now. Um, <laughs> we just don't know. Um, as far as I'm aware, unless something has popped up under my radar, um, there hasn't been legislation actually introduced on yet so far with this legislature. And again, I may be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, We did see it introduced last year, and so it's not hard to repackage legislation that's been thoughtfully produced by um, former lawmakers and reintroduce it in a new session. We just haven't seen that happen yet. However, so many of the priorities that Democrats had going into this year have pretty much gotten introduced or been significantly pushed through the legislature. So once those things are done, those priorities are, are completed, I think that's when we might begin to see this actually be introduced? Because at this point, they've been able to uh, put it off in some ways, whether that's intentional or not, to push through their other things that may be more pressing. Um, so hopefully soon, but truly, we, we don't have quite a timeline yet.
1: Yeah, we don't know. Okay, uh, Rachel Louise Just and Nick Pigeon, great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining.
5: Thank
3: you.
1: Thanks for having us. Okay. We're going to take a quick break again. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about transparency in state politics. We're going to shift the focus just a little bit to talk about the marijuana bribery scandal that unfolded in Michigan last week. Really mind-blowing stuff about a former Speaker of the House Involved uh, in a bribery scandal. Also want to continue to hear from you on the phone and on social. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number here. Let us know what you are concerned about when it comes to transparency and ethics in our government. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We started our discussion on the subject of government transparency for a really important reason. We live in a representative democracy. And that means when we elect people to office, when we entrust them with the power to create rules and regulations and spend money... We do it with the expectation that they have our best interests in mind. We do it expecting that they will represent us, not their own selfish interests. Transparency is one way that we as citizens can check and make sure that our officials are doing just that, working for our best interest and not using their positions for personal gain. Unfortunately, a recent story highlights why we are failing at that in Michigan in some pretty spectacular ways. Former Michigan House Speaker Rick Johnson was among four people who pled guilty to abusing power while in office. Specifically, Johnson admitted to accepting more than $100,000 in cash payments and other benefits from multiple sources while chairing Michigan's now defunct medical marijuana licensing board. Now, how did this happen? What does it mean for our state? Why is it important? And this is the critical question. How do we prevent this from happening again? This is not by far the first time that we've seen a public official caught up in a pretty spectacular scandal like this in Michigan, both at the state level and at the local level. So what is it about the infrastructure of transparency and ethics in Michigan and the enforcement of that transparency and ethics that allows this to repeat itself over and over again in our historical narrative. That's where we continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. Why do we continually see public officials caught up in scandals like this in Michigan? And what do we do about it? To help us answer those questions and more, we're now joined by Lauren Gibbons. She is a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge Michigan. Lauren, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So I want to start with just the scale of this scandal, which I think is probably Not uh, gotten enough uh, attention. This wasn't just about the $100,000 that Rick Johnson admits he took. This was about uh, the setting up of a very big industry here in Michigan. There was an awful lot of money involved in, uh, in that industry. And that industry is going to have a real effect on lots of other things, both economically and culturally here uh, in our state. So let's just start with uh, with the basics. What happened here uh, and and what led Rick Johnson to the point where he pled guilty to this?
5: Absolutely. So as you said, this was a pretty key position. Uh, He was uh, chairing a medical marijuana licensing board and that meant that he and the other members of the board got to, uh, were vetting and ultimately chose which companies got licensing to grow, distribute, uh, sell, uh, it, it essentially participate in the medical marijuana industry mission It was a new industry and it was an industry where a lot of companies were vying to get a piece of the pie. Um, there's a, there was a lot of money going around uh, and and it was something where it, it was just a, a time where a ton of companies were trying to get in and there was this backlog while the board was vetting these requests. So, The fact that Rick Johnson was accepting bribes uh, or admitted to in these plea agreements, accepting bribes uh, for participating and for essentially potentially trying to give certain companies a little bit of a leg up in this process is very significant. And this investigation has been going since at least December of 2017, mm-hmm. it's still ongoing. Four people have submitted plea agreements at this stage, but it's still open. So we could see additional charges being levied in, in this investigation.
1: Yeah. I think it's important also to, to note that when you see someone plead guilty in these public corruption uh investigations often it is as uh, you know a vehicle really to to getting other uh, to getting at other other possible defendants. It's unusual, I think to see somebody at the level of a House speaker. Uh, plead guilty because there isn't a much uh, higher of an official to get. But but I think it's notable that uh, U.S. Attorney Mark Totten uh, has said, look, this is open and there, there, there could be more. Uh, uh, tell us more, though, about Rick Johnson, who is essentially at the center of this story. Lots of people probably don't remember him. Uh, he, he was Speaker quite a bit ago.
5: Right. Yeah. So Rick Johnson was a former Michigan House speaker. He served in the House for several sessions and then worked as a lobbyist prior to his job as the marijuana board chair. And um, uh, his appointment was a little controversial, as some people uh, suggested that maybe he shouldn't get that position because of his former lobbying connections. And there was some concern, but he was appointed anyway. And one interesting thing to note is that technically the board members were subject to some disclosure requirements. They had to file certain disclosures. And the fact that we're seeing uh, such a big in- investigation around this uh, shows that it was just, a, you know, those we're apparently pretty ineffective, um, and we're pretty easy for Rick Johnson and others to get around.
1: Um, the, the one of the things that I want to uh, kind of stop you there and go back to is the revolving door aspect uh, of all of this. This idea that you can be House Speaker today, and in a few years, uh, maybe in a few months, depending on the circumstances. You can be lobbying the legislature on behalf uh, of an industry. It is one of the areas here in Michigan that is very loosely regulated and it has everything to do, I think, with uh, the problems that we have with this level of uh, this level of corruption.
5: Sure. And certainly we have seen a lot of lawmakers take that path uh, with term limits. A lot of times uh, they build up. Uh, this knowledge base and certain policy issues and many of them do choose to go into the lobbying industry uh, using that knowledge and there's no rules against it in Michigan right now. Certainly we've seen a lot of lawmakers do it uh, with no controversial aspects um, or, or any knowledge of nefarious activity, but uh, certainly, a lot of transparency advocates have pointed to potential concerns and the possibility of um, things like this situation, where people are using that knowledge and using it to benefit themselves or others they're connected to. So it's it's something that has been suggested to to change to potentially stop the revolving door or put limits or or a time constraints on how soon former lawmakers could enter the lobbying pool. Uh, but but so far, we have not seen a major movement on that this session, and it hasn't been passed in previous sessions either. Yeah,
1: I'm talking with Lauren Gibbons. She's a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge Michigan. We're talking about the marijuana bribery scandal that uh, was brought to light last week when Uh, Former House Speaker Rick Johnson, uh, one of four people who pled guilty to abusing power while in office, specifically Johnson admitted to accepting more than $100,000 in cash payments and other benefits from multiple sources while he was chairing uh, Michigan's Medical Marijuana Licensing Board. We would love to hear from you, the listeners, during this conversation as well. Uh, What do you care about uh, this bribery scandal? Do you think it affects Uh, our government? Is it uh, a problem with government effectiveness that we have these kind of scandals uh, unfold every so often uh, in Lansing? Uh, Do you think we're doing a good job of holding government officials accountable in Michigan? Uh, How could we be doing a better job of holding them accountable? Also, how could we do a better job of dissuading them from this kind of activity? This is Far from the first scandal involving either a state legislator or uh, other public officials here in Michigan. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can include you that way. Let's go to Cindy in the cast Corridor. Cindy, welcome to the show. Yeah,
0: uh, I was calling in about the FOIA.
5: We have a a, a digital capability that we're not using in the city of Detroit for information about the government. And and a lot of times when you FOIA, it it costs uh, so much that they tell you it's going to cost so much that you, you really can't go through with it. So, I, I more information should you shouldn't have to FOIA for a lot of this stuff. It should be archived on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cindy, that's a great point, and and uh, it's one of the things that I th- think I hope uh, the state legislature takes a look at as well. Uh, Lauren, how would better transparency? Uh, in Michigan have affected, perhaps, this scandal with Rick Johnson. I know it's always difficult to go back and say, well, if this had been true, then uh, things would have been different. But it does seem that that this strikes kind of at the heart of the inability to know more about what state legislators are actually up to.
5: Yeah, I think it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit hard to compare apples to oranges here. Obviously, he was on Um, a board that was not elected at the time uh, when some of these, uh, when some of these uh, bribes were happening. Mm -hmm. And um, when he was a lawmaker, though, he was not uh, covered under the freedom of information act. No lawmakers are covered under that act. And the governor's office is not either. So there's been a lot of talk of expanding FOIA to include the governor and the legislature in this act, but as Cindy pointed out, it's something that uh, is enforced differently depending on what local government or state agency or whatever body you're trying to get information from, the amount of documents you can get or how much you're charged or just how easy that process is varies quite Substantially, depending on what department you're trying to FOIA through. So, I think a lot of transparency advocates also say that it's important for this to be applied more equally under the law. And clearly, there's a lot of gaps in our transparency laws in Michigan right now that are preventing that.
1: Yeah. I want to go back to this scandal in particular. Can you talk just a little about the way? this behavior. And and we, of course, don't know the extent of it quite yet. But what effect that could have had and what effect, I guess, it likely had on the development of not just the medical marijuana business, but uh, the recreational marijuana business, which is, is, you know, just now kind of finding its footing. This was a new industry. And the idea that Uh, operators were able to buy a different kind of access for themselves to decision-makers, it it kind of frames some of, I guess, what we're seeing and, and dealing with now in the industry.
5: Yeah, and I think a lot of people at that time were trying to get their foot in the door and were frustrated because of how long it was taking and, in some cases, resulted in them not getting licensed. Certainly, it's a little hard to say, you know, this was several years ago at this point, exactly, you know, how many businesses were impacted, but it certainly casts a pall over the entire process if the chair of the board was, you know, was giving preferential treatment to certain companies and allowing that process to be corrupted. And, I think a lot, of, a lot of members of the industry certainly felt that and are you know, very concerned about how the way that this industry was started and the corruption that we're seeing as part of this investigation has ultimately impacted the state's, uh, the state's marijuana industry as a whole.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Lauren, um, uh, this is not the first scandal, as I said um, that we've faced in Lansing or in local government here in Michigan. Talk about how this kind of fits into the context, I guess, of that of that history.
5: Yeah, certainly we have seen corruption scandals before, and at this juncture, there are other active investigations pending against former elected officials in Michigan. Certainly, there are continued investigations going on into the into the activities of former House Speaker Lee Shatfield. We have not seen the results of that investigation quite yet. That's ongoing. Um, but very serious charges against him as well um, in terms of how he handled his money and also uh, sexual harassment, uh, and potential assault allegations in that case. So certainly we have seen a lot of um, a lot of concern about how money in politics affects decision-making, how the conduct of certain lawmakers or other people in power have affected our government as a whole. And I don't think that this conversation that we're having about Rick Johnson is the end of it either, because the investigation is ongoing and there could be more. Uh, All four people who were charged and filed plea agreements, as part of their plea agreement, uh, agreed to cooperate with the investigation, potentially testify, Mm -hmm. provide additional information to investigators. And so clearly that door hasn't closed either. So we could continue to find out more about that particular situation, but it's certainly not over and probably won't be over for quite some time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, Daniela on Twitter says, why is it important for electeds to disclose their finances? If your finances affect your personal decisions, why wouldn't they impact the decision uh, that office holders make? Uh, Dragon Lady on Twitter says, leaving politicians to write the laws that require their transparency makes about as much sense as allowing the Fed to investigate their own decisions. Self-regulation breeds Corruption. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Chris in Troy. Chris, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, great to be here. Yeah,
1: great to have you. Go ahead.
0: Well, I've got a Tennessee story to tell you. I hope (laughs) it's relevant.
1: (laughs) Tennessee's in the news, too, right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I just moved back to Michigan from Hickson, Tennessee. And while I was in Tennessee, I was represented in my district— by a representative named Robin Smith, Robin Smith and the speaker of the Tennessee house, Glenn Cassida. At the time, they both formed a phony consulting company <clears throat> and they scammed other members of the Tennessee house, um, uh, for, for phony consulting and phone a phony mailer scam. Um, Robin Smith pleaded guilty to felony wire tr- wire, um, wire fraud. Mm-hmm. That was over a year ago. Uh, Robin Smith, to this day, uh, despite pleading guilty, she's still walking free. And <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, the former Speaker of the
1: House, Glenn Cassida, her co-conspirator, he's still serving uh, at the house hmm. uh, and so uh, Chris I, I want to give give you a chance to talk about as a citizen how that makes you feel about government and its effectiveness and its honesty and then compare that to your experience here in Michigan you've moved back here you said uh, do you feel like things are better here or maybe, maybe they are just kind of similar
0: Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy to be back in Michigan. It's night and day. It, um, I, I I do feel represented here. I do feel that my voice is uh, heard here. Whereas in Tennessee, I was duped. And the worst part about it in Tennessee, when Robin Smith resigned, uh, there was, uh, there was no election to find her replacement. Somebody assigned her replacement and this new fella um, who took over for robin smith <clears throat> he's a disgraced former christian pastor mm. who cheated on his wife while he was a pastor
1: so um, chris so chris i mean the 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 appointment uh thing is often part of the way that we replace uh you know people who leave office and then there is an election. Uh, a little later, but it doesn't sound like uh, that that served your interests terribly well. That process uh, in Tennessee. I really appreciate the call, though, and and the point about trust and and uh, and faith in 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 the government and the people uh, who represent us there, uh, Lauren. That trust here, um, you know, depends. It seems to me on some some new action, perhaps, by the legislature. To hold itself more uh, accountable, Uh, you do cover, you know, statewide politics here. What is what's your sense of how how this might be improved with the new majority in in Lansing and I guess the timetable for those improvements?
5: Yeah, certainly. And I think that was an interesting point, too, that. Michigan is not the only state that has dealt with transparency issues yeah. uh, or even corruption issues. We saw some interesting stuff down in Ohio as well with their former speaker. But um, it's it's definitely something that's on the yeah. minds of a lot of Democratic lawmakers. Senator Jeremy Moss has been working for uh, additional transparency and ethics reform since he was elected to office and. He said that he's hoping to get something through in the next few months here, uh, at least through the Senate, on expanding FOIA to include the legislature and the governor's office. Now, this has been an ongoing issue. It's been a largely bipartisan issue. We saw it's it's been voted through the House a few times with nearly unanimous or unanimous bipartisan support. The question is now whether leadership gets it to the finish line gets it signed into law and then starts to look more seriously at some of these other transparency efforts you know it is the revolving door something that should come up um, for lobbying and how long after your lawmaker uh, is appropriate uh, before you can become a lobbyist yeah. or uh finance or financial disclosure implementing Uh, The ballot initiative that was signed, does that need to go further? Does FOIA need to be overhauled to make it easier for the public to access? It's it's easy to say, you know, these specific reforms, expanding FOIA is something that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time, but obviously it goes deeper than that And to truly address some of the issues we've been talking about Mm -hmm. this morning, it would probably need to be a more robust conversation
1: yeah for sure it needs to include some changes to campaign finance uh, as well which uh you oh, know it's kind true. of a shambles here in, uh, in michigan okay uh lauren gibbons always great to have you here with us on detroit today thanks so much for joining us today
5: thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah.
1: Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to be talking about a new idea to better treat people with mental health issues and how to support those who help them. Also, if you like the show and enjoy listening, share it. Share it with your friends and your family, your neighbors. Wonderful when we get new people to be part of the community that we're building here on Detroit Today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.